0: All right, today we are joined by yet another Hannah. Let's talk to her real fast and get a quick intro, and then we'll jump into the full conversation in a minute. Uh,
1: My name is Hannah Ballard. I am a storyteller who is working at the intersection of communities, climate, and emerging technologies, uh, currently, I am the PR and communications coordinator for Kids Code We're a Canadian bilingual charity that's trying to equip every Canadian child with the digital skills they need to thrive in our changing world.
0: This is a series that is primarily focused on all of the questions that stem from AI and other related technologies. We're bringing on some of the best and brightest minds In their respective fields to talk to us about what they're doing why they feel the need to do it and hopefully create a conversation so that we can find some best practices as we move forward and AI continues to eat up more and more of our daily lives so I want to recommend to you to get into our Slack community if you are not in it already. If you're listening for your first time and you are curious or you are doing things around AI governance, AI ethics, I really think you would appreciate the Slack community that we have. You can check out some of the links below. And... The last but not least thing that I will say is that we have an incredible sponsor. Ethics Grade is an ESG benchmarking firm. and They are specialized in technological governance. If it wasn't for them, we would not be here. So I have to give a big thank you and shout out to Ethics Grade. Check out the links below if you want more information on them. So without further ado, let's jump into it with Hannah. Are you a robot? It's great to have you on here, Hannah. And I really think that your goal is a quite a noble goal. And I really am impressed with what you all are doing. So I want to go in so many different directions today when we chat. But I think the first one that would be a proper start is if you could give us a little bit of background on how you ended up here and doing what you're doing.
1: Uh, so it's a bit of a meandering journey. Um, when I was at university studying English literature, I couldn't get a publishing internship, uh, so ended up falling into AI when I answered a job advert asking someone to teach a computer to speak like a human. I figured that English, words, it probably synced up somehow, so I ended up sort of working in... London's AI scene quite early on, fairly by accident, and then sort of really saw that there's a lot of amazing technical engineering minds in the space uh, who don't always have the language to communicate what they're doing to people outside of it. So I sort of Mm. built a career translating some of these amazing technological concepts into sort of more human level conversation um, and just oh, trying to make it relevant for um, for people.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you give us, I, I've seen some articles where you reference that, this idea of a translator and going from, I guess, normal English or understandable English, we could say, to something a bit more specific and uh, technical. And so what are you doing there like, what are some examples of that?
1: I mean, I think in in AI ethics, there's a lot of different terms about how we can go by certain guiding principles. But like things like fairness, uh, justice, they have very different meanings to everyone, and we don't always use these words in in conversational language. Mm-hmm. So it's really sort of trying to find the the entry point that contextualizes um, a lot of these ideas for people.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. I can see that. So you're doing a lot right now, teaching children about AI. Can you explain what exactly you're doing and why you feel that's needed?
1: So um, what we're doing is we're trying to teach children what goes on behind the screen when they're interacting with AI. Um, Most children now haven't really lived in a world without AI. So they are aware that they're surrounded by AI. They know that if they watch a lot of Minecraft videos on YouTube, they'll be served more Minecraft videos. And they know that there is a TikTok algorithm that if you can crack it, you can be famous. But they're not always um, so aware of... How the sort of the bargain they're making by giving up some of that personal data. So what we're trying to do is sort of show them that behind behind it all, it's not magic. There is sort of a logic, and um, we're not just trying to create a generation of AI creators. We just want to demystify it a bit and show everyone, children and the grown ups that care for them, uh, that it's it's not it's not a magical mystery and um, give people the 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 tools to engage um, in an empowered way and sort of understand the the bargaining we do when we give up our personal data. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I thought it was fascinating, and you just touched on this point, how it's not only the children, right? I think I was reading an article that you either wrote or appeared in and you were talking about how many parents let their children watch YouTube, but not a lot of parents feel okay with how YouTube recommends things to their children. And first of all, in, in my mind, I look at it like, okay, there's one side of this story, which is that the parents potentially don't even understand what is happening when an algorithm recommends something to their children or that their children watch a lot of Minecraft videos, like you said, and they then get recommended more Minecraft videos and so you have the parents that aren't really understanding it and then you have the children that maybe understand in a very basic way and so the idea of teaching not only the children but also the parents is fundamental and I think you're going about that if I'm not mistaken and can you explain a little bit more of that? So what
1: we're trying to do more and more is as well as creating content for children, we often say it's it's good for time-pressed adults as well. Uh, from, a, from a communication standpoint, when you're creating something that is accessible to children, you're really making something that is accessible to everyone. So um, by giving children these skills, often they do take it home and share with their parents. And increasingly, we're trying to run sort of um, events that bring grown-ups into the space because it can just feel so overwhelming that people don't want to... Delve into it, which is totally understandable um, given how complex it can seem from the outside.
0: Mm, totally. And let's, I, I think we should maybe lay a bit more groundwork here before we dive deeper into this idea of communication and technology and how you mentioned that AI and children are growing up and AI is all around them, right? Can you give us some examples of how we are interacting and when you say children what are you talking about I have a 2 year old daughter is is she someone that's interacting with AI already or is it mainly for once kids get cell phones like can you break all of that down
1: Yeah I mean I think obviously every household is different but um a lot of children will be work, like using Alexas or smart homes Uh, I think I read it was an MIT article that said children are aware that it's it's not magic, but they think there's a grown up behind it. They think maybe their teachers control it or their parents control it. Like they think that there's a human involved somewhere. Um, But it is sort of um, children using YouTube, children watching Netflix on TV. Uh, engaging with things like alexa's um, in the classroom I mean there's teachers who are sort of finding ways to bring AI into the classroom in really interesting ways, which is sort of what inspired k c j to start working on the education part of that but um yeah, I think it's AI really is all around us with recommendation engines, and we'd be hard pressed to spend a day without somehow engaging with it
0: and so what are you going in? telling these kids? What are you teaching them around this?
1: So we we go in and we sort of teach the basics of like what an algorithm is and how it's you sort of you're putting some information in. We teach them about computational thinking. And we're really just trying to give them the tools so that they can sort of begin to break down how these concepts are working. Um, we use some really fun tools to get children um, making like a little AI projects in class. So there's like um, image recognition where they're sort of teaching the AI how to understand sign language or showing how an AI sometimes can't distinguish between like a chihuahua or a blueberry muffin is quite, quite a popular one as well. So we try to teach them that it's very approachable, that they can play with it. And through that, we're showing them how they can sort of break it down. And um, it's not not inaccessible. It's something that they can sort of understand the input so that they can better understand how they're engaging with the interface.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's such a huge part of it, right? Like to be able to know that, A, this isn't magic. It's not your teacher or parent that's behind the screen or has put some uh, accessibility traps on the computer for you. It's an actual thing or product being made by a company that is using what we could call AI or machine learning. And the way that AI works is that it's being fed a lot of data. And you're just being shown this because, uh, let's go back to the example of this recommendation engine, right? You're being shown this because you have been watching a lot of this stuff. So that is data that is then given to a machine learning algorithm, which is looking at everyone else's data and showing that, okay, well, everyone else that has done similar things to this also enjoyed this, right? So you're breaking it down into more digestible building blocks, which I think is super useful for children to understand so that they can then curtail their actions uh, accordingly if they choose to so let's go into the idea of technology and and communication right because i think that is something that you're very passionate about and i'd love yeah. to hear more about the the i guess fusion between those two and I thought it was interesting. Um, something that I was reading about you, it was, it was talking about how AI poses a threat to kids and wider society by being too opaque. And this is something that you just mentioned, right? Like the translation job that you need there. And so because it is opaque and it's incomprehensible by some, then it can be dangerous. Can you dive into that a bit more?
1: Yeah, I think it's very easy with big, scary questions, and this goes for climate change, this goes for um, AI. When something seems so large and uh, inaccessible, we kind of shut off. It's a very human Mm. response. And um, I I think definitely, like, as a teenager, when I was trying to deal with homework, oh, this is too hard, I won't bother. So I think we all, it's a very human response to to not want to try and fix all of the world's problems at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so the issue there is a lot of companies have been able to profit from that knowing that people are sort of happy enough just not even delving into it. Like, none of us want to sit and read the terms and conditions. So I think we've kind of fallen, sleepwalked into a system where we don't always entirely know what's going on, but to go back and to change it would be hard, so hard we would be sacrificing all of the time-saving benefits that these sort of services offer us. So I think I'm a a big proponent for um, this movement for understandable AI, rather than looking for explainable AI, Mm -hmm. like AI that we are able to talk about. AI should inherently be understandable by design. I mean, there's so many stories coming out now about scientists having to pull the plug on, Mm. on their projects when the AI begins talking its own language and making decisions that they cannot comprehend. I think we need to sort of almost go back to the drawing board and work out how to bring these very human lenses before even the coding is sort of started.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And that is so true. Like, we've seen a lot of that going on. And it is one of those times where you see it and then you wonder how, how could someone have let that happen, right? So, you're a proponent for the fact that it's flawed in design and the way that we get these algorithms out the door is flawed in design. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Perfect, perfect. So, one thing that I noticed in uh, some of the material that I was reading about was this idea of algorithmic literacy. Can you talk to us about that a bit?
1: Yes, so um, we were very fortunate that CC, uh, the Canadian Commission of UNESCO, um, they do a lot of work around media literacy, and they came to Kizco Junaire saying, look, we're all engaging with algorithms, and we really think that more work needs to be done so that people can kind of understand like what an algorithm actually is. Like We talk about them like, oh, well, someone can break the... TikTok algorithm, someone can sort of like crack the YouTube algorithm as they've they've become this quite um, and people talk about oh, the algorithm on social media is shadow banning me, like they've become this very nebulous entity but realistically they're just they're just like a recipe, they're just a list of instructions like it's I think it's a testament to good um, some good smoke and mirrors comms on AI developers part like at the end of the day, AI is just Humans have made it most of the time, like, we're not, no one's a magician quite yet. But um, with the Algorithm Literacy Project, we were very fortunate to work with CC UNESCO to create um, a video that was really just trying to sort of get children, families, uh, classes thinking about what goes on behind the screen. So we made this beautiful video that we prepared a massive launch for in the second week of March, which unfortunately, um,
0: was unfortunately got a bit
1: overshadowed. yeah. Um, so the project's still out in the world. We get so much great feedback from grown-ups about how this was the video that finally made it more comprehensible mm. as to how an algorithm actually works and how it's sort of impacting like recommendations. So uh, that's... Um, that's our algorithm literacy project and we've sort of used that to jump into some other conversations we're having in classrooms.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about those other conversations too. And I think it's awesome that you created this, this video to break it down on a simple level. Again, it's all about the bridging the gap between... The ideas that we're hearing about, which may seem very big and as you said, they're a bit ominous sometimes, or they are we don't understand them really, but they've been thrown into our our jargon or our our uh, use of words, just kind of like, oh yeah, the algorithm, but if we don't really understand what an algorithm is, then we're not going to be able to provision and make choices in a way that is going to help us in the long run. So the other kinds of things that you've created around this, can you break down what else you've made to try and help bridge that gap between, like you said, it's the technology and the communication so that a a wider audience can understand what is going on. So one
1: of the things we're really working on at the moment, and it's something that I think we've had such a privilege to always be in a position to do is we're working on getting children's voices directly involved in what we're doing. So um, recently we posted a response to Mozilla's uh, white paper on trustworthy AI. Um, as part of that process, we created like a child-friendly version called the, which we called the light paper uh, that Mozilla liked so much they've actually adopted internally and are translating to get their volunteers all onboarded. And so we sort of, we made this child ver- child friendly version or time time press adult friendly version as well I know some of my colleagues have read it rather than the 70 page version um, so we, we really saw the potential here for bringing like young people young people's voices directly into this so we've recently started running roundtable sessions for um, for children and teens we ran one with UNESCO uh, with teenagers on environmental ai ethics and we're currently doing some with uh smaller children sort of 12 and under on at the moment it's got sort of an sdg climate crisis focus but we will be introducing ai next year and we're just trying to create a space where children from all across canada can come together and have these conversations because they know they hear what's going on in the news and with especially with the climate crisis they're really engaged with that And once we begin bringing more AI, more technology for good, like children have such an energy to want to fix things and an optimism. that I think we we grow out of, but we really need that because we're really facing down quite, quite a lot.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. So nice to hear. So what are some things that you've been hearing uh, children say and speak on?
1: Oh, it's, it's such an incredible range. Um, there, was, there was one girl who, when asked what she would recommend to global leaders, she said, you really need to sort of like take action yourself just because the prime minister doesn't mean you can't take a bus. <laughs> um, so they're really, it's, it's more than just parroting parents. Like children see that there are solutions out there. Um, we've had suggestions, eat less meat, uh, take the bus more, use electric cars, don't litter. Um, And a lot of children are really engaging with specifically like the climate crisis, but they do see that technology can be used as a sort of a tool to help mitigate that. Um, And they're they're inspired. I think they're a little bit worried, but um, of all the children I've asked of what they think the environment will look like in 10 years time, a lot of them have said they think it will be better because there are so many people out here caring about
0: it. Uh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, and I've seen actually, and I have it up on my computer right now, the, the light paper that you, you're talking about. And one thing, there's a great quote in here from one child that's talking about the idea of like, having more regulations and over profit And it's something that we've come back to, or at least I've come back to in this series again and again, is the incentives that we have to do the right thing are very minimal. Uh, We have incentive to make money, right? And most of the time or some of the time making money is at the cost of doing things that aren't necessarily in the best interest of everyone, or it's not a long-term sustainable thing. So talking about this switch from like the incentives, and I think it's great to see that, that children instinctively are thinking about that. I just was wondering, like when you speak to children or it's, it's youth you mentioned, I would imagine they're, what is this, high school kids?
1: So our primary age group is sort of 8 to 12. We're beginning to go more towards high school as well. But um, I actually spoke with a seven-year-old earlier this week who thinks everyone should eat less meat and sort oh, of cut down nice. cut down on their driving. Um, but I'd say 8 to 12 is a really... That's when children don't fully have all of the information about, like, the really serious repercussions, but they have that energy and that love for learning to, like, want to fix everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is very true. I remember being a seventh grader and having that sense of wonder when you look out at the world. So it's a great age to be doing that on. And I also thought that you put something really interesting about this idea of unlocking the potential of AI, the, teaching the youth to unlock this potential, but do it in a responsible way. Can you weave into the conversation how you're looking at ethics in all of this?
1: Yeah, so we're very much trying to teach the ethics of AI along with how we're teaching it. We're getting children to think about sort of who is making decisions, who these decisions are affecting, and is there like a disproportionate... Like, one group is making these decisions that is impacting the lives of other groups. So we're really trying to sort of challenge children to think in this way, which I think aligns a lot with sort of media, traditional media literacy. It's like, okay, whose side of the story is this? Where have they got their facts on? Like, where did this data come from? Uh, so we're really, yeah, trying to sort of get them thinking about ethics by design so that as they as they grow up they've got the framework there and they can just fit everything else sort of through it
0: yeah that's brilliant and how is this because we've talked about like the video that you put out and other resources that you've created what does the curriculum look like like if are you going into schools how are you implementing this right now
1: Right now is a very interesting time. Um, Canada is quite interesting in that every province has its own education system. So, on the one hand, in Ontario, there is a mix of blended learning: some children are at home, some are in schools. Mm-hmm. In Quebec, all children are in schools. So, at the moment, with our um, with our in classroom workshops, we've got a mix of either instructors sort of instructing a Zoom classroom, or we've been um, a, a type of webinar that we've been pioneering for I think about five years is we send an instructor to be on sort of the smart board at the front of a room Um, and because we've been doing that with remote communities prior to the pandemic it wasn't difficult to transition over and like children engage really well with an enormous grown-up on a screen Um, so we've been doing doing a sort of mix of delivery styles um, and yeah adapting the content for sort of the class that's there and how they are engaging with the material.
0: And how does it work? Is it like a specific amount of time that they go and they learn from this? And or is it just a one-off thing?
1: So we do, I believe our our workshops are two generally around two hours. It sort of again depends, like each school has its own timetabling mm, and quirks. Yeah. Um, And of course, like teachers at the moment are absolute heroes who are working in very strange spaces where they're trying to be like epidemiological experts and educators. Um, So, yeah, we we go in for sort of a two-hour session. Uh, There's sort of a certain amount of content we work through. And then once, I think we can go back each year. So we, we do see some classes growing up. We do see some educators growing with the material, but we also offer uh, teacher trainings as well. So we do have teachers who join us to learn about how to sort of use Scratch to teach science or how to bring AI into their classroom. So we're able to sort of disseminate our information Mm -hmm. in different ways like that.
0: So now let's jump into like the whole storytelling aspect of this, because I know that as someone who is passionate about communication, I'm sure that you are trying to weave a story around the curriculum and what you're teaching these children. How does that get reflected into what you're putting out and making sure to keep it engaging for the kids, right? I I know you mentioned like the kids wanting to break the TikTok algorithm or something. And so what are you able to do and what have you found very useful at getting their attention and engaging them?
1: So one of the things, one of our sort of remits is we're really trying to um, bring underrepresented children into the world of tech. So we we look at uh, girls and children from other under-resourced communities who don't necessarily see themselves in technology. And we find storytelling is really the way to do that. So we mm. we often use a platform called Scratch to sort of bring, bring people into our little coding ecosystem, mm-hmm. which is, it's like digital Lego. You drag and drop your blocks of code and you can build stories. And then from there, you can start to build games. And once you start to build games, you can start to think, oh, how could I use this to do this? And so mm-hmm. the storytelling it's such like an inherently human thing that everyone engages with from, like even before you're able to read, we're able to use that to sort of get people's interest into learning through the story and then wanting to tell their own story and sort of bring them through the creativity.
0: Yeah, it's such a good way to keep them interested in it. And I could see that being something that when they have a sense of understanding of how it's working and it's not just this magic thing in a box, then they can start to really have the, the gears turning in their head and they start to think, wow, yeah, okay, well, if I can do this, what else can I do with it? And you brought up a great point about trying to really target underrepresented um, groups of people and, and how that is helpful when you use story. Because you can tell the story to them about maybe someone else like them that has done something in a way, and so do you have any great stories for us?
1: Oh, I should have I should have checked. We actually have like a database of classroom stories. Uh, one of my favorite sort of classroom stories is um, we also use a tool called a microbit. It's a, a- mm-hmm. One child called it a rectangle of technology. It's um, a very, very mini computer with uh, 25 LED lights. uh, So children can sort of program. Again, they can program little animations. And one time uh, in a workshop, a little girl programmed it to to work as a dice. And she managed to make it work. So she threw it above her head and screamed, this is the future. (laughs) And that was a fourth grade little girl just... So happy with the, the opportunities that technology presents. Uh, that's one of my favorites.
0: You have a very ambitious goal, and you would like to educate. What is it? Over a million or thirty million ki- children? A million children.
1: Yes, um, one million Canadian children and fifty thousand educators. It's um, we're calling it our Kids Twenty Thirty Strategy. Mm. Uh, so we're, we want to teach a million children, and 50,000 educators about artificial intelligence, digital citizenship, and the UN Sustainable Development Goals.
0: Mm. So, okay, little tangent right there. Digital citizenship, what does that mean? Because I've seen it come up a few times, and so for, for the rest of us that aren't so, so into it, what is digital citizenship?
1: So digital citizenship is really the idea of participating in a civic way in virtual spaces. So bringing the same um, responsibilities into how we're interacting online. So being polite, Mm -hmm. being engaged and really seeing the virtual space as a civic space.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And so right now you're mainly focusing on Canada. As you move forward in the future, do you feel like this is something that you would like to... Branch out and do in other countries, or is it something that you're you're looking at Canada to be the stronghold there and lead the way especially in the form of digital citizenship
1: yeah so we we already have um, quite so we work in both official languages of Canada English and French we have mm-hmm. um, we work have some work going on in France, but because so much of our work now is is online it's really our main remit is Canada, but um, one of our videos, um, Computational Thinking, which is in French, most of our viewers come from Tunisia. So mm. we really are trying to, we serve Canadian schools, but we're trying to put a lot of content out there that can be used all around the world, and especially in the francophone space. There aren't as many um, charities doing this work, so it's it's a real privilege to be able to sort of provide information. Provide, um, education for children literally everywhere. Um, We've recently launched the Kids 2030 Challenge, which is um, every year for the next 10 years, we'll be doing an educational challenge activity that teaches digital skills through the lens of a specific SDG. Uh, This year we're focusing on teaching data science through preventing plastic pollution. And we've had two submissions from India without Mm -hmm. doing any, any marketing to India.
0: Wait, so can you break that down a little bit more? That seems really intriguing. What is this uh, you're teaching or you're having a challenge around getting rid of the plastic? Can you explain that more?
1: So it's about preventing plastic pollution, so reducing the use of plastic so that it doesn't sort of even end up being a pollutant. So um, the challenge... It's its its own beautiful website and it takes um, sort of families through each step. But the idea is children can sort of go around their house, weigh up how much plastic they're using, make some sort of estimates about how much plastic they're throwing out. There's some really cool data visualization tools where it's like you put in how much you think you use a week and it equates it to how much it like that would equal to like in beavers or in uh, Canadian geese. Uh, And then it once children have collected their data, they visualized it, they can sort of think, okay, how can I reduce that? So Mm. they can then pledge, oh, instead of using plastic water bottles, I will have one reusable water bottle. Um, Instead of using like um, one use face masks, I'll get some reusable fabric ones.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's great. That's really cool to see. And I mean, one thing I wonder about on this, and you've probably thought about it too, is how the, these ideas and what you're doing is so useful for so many different people. And I just worry that maybe some of, some of the time what happens is that it only is given to the higher or more privileged Um, classes in society. So how are you attacking that problem?
1: So we primarily go into um, public schools. So the school of which anyone can attend. There is, you know, like a self-selection bias in that we go into the schools that reach out to us. So the teachers there generally have some digital skills, but we, we have a, a, a team all across Canada who are doing like a lot of community outreach with local school boards. We're trying increasingly to sort of partner with other community organisations to really ensure that we can take our services all over the the country, and I believe the year before last, some of my colleagues actually flew up to Whitehorse in the Yukon um, to go out and uh, work out how some of our virtual online offerings can be done with very low bandwidth, because this is something we're aware of. A lot of what we do requires internet, and Mm -hmm. even within Canada, there are a lot of places that do not always get... As we're seeing now, the snow snow can add some interesting... um, (laughs) Interesting dimensions to internet speeds.
0: Yep, yep. We are uh, seeing that firsthand, aren't we? Because for those that don't know, before we hit record, um, Hannah was telling me how she just got about a foot of snow. In You're in Montreal?
1: Yes, in Montreal.
0: Yeah, so lots of good fun there. Now, we went out and we sourced a few questions for you. And one question that we found from Giselle Waters was asking about how can children best learn that all technology embeds human values, whether implicitly or explicitly?
1: It's a very good question. Um, I I think because we're trying to teach really the foundational ideas of what computational thinking is, it's all about sort of breaking concepts down and spotting patterns. So by giving children sort of that framework, they're able to sort of apply it to different technologies. And by bringing the storytelling element and getting them thinking about, like, ethics, like, behind every technological invention, there are a number of human decisions. And once you sort of get into that, that mind frame, once you begin to use that framework, you can begin to sort of apply it. So, yeah, trying to give children the tools that, and the, yeah, the tools to then deconstruct uh, the world around them.
0: That's a great answer. So I've got one more question for you and then I'll I'll wrap it up. Um, Wondering, are you a robot?
1: I don't think I'm a robot, but 2020 has been quite a year. Like I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if there was some twist.
0: (laughs) That is a great answer. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about what you are doing. I think it's an absolutely noble cause. And just to reiterate, if anyone wants to or knows about a school that this could be good for, how can they get in touch? How could they implement this in their school? So
1: our website is uh, kizkojonesse.org. Uh, I believe you can also access that you can also access that kcj.org, as uh, the jeunesse can be a bit hard for anglophones sometimes. Yeah. Um, the challenge is available at kids2030challenge.org or defijeunesse And algorithmliteracy.org is our algorithm literacy project. We're on all of the social medias as Kids Code Jeunesse. And on Twitter, we are Kids Coding.
0: And is there, I know I said we were going to finish, but you just sparked another question in my head around, is there like an easy way to bring this to, you mentioned that you're, you're teaching the facilitators. If a facilitator wanted to just introduce maybe a light version of this into the classroom, is there something like a resource for them?
1: So on our site we have a number of resources um, for people to work through at home. In the second week of December, I can't—I believe it's the seventh to the fifteenth. It's um, Hour of Code, which is a global initiative started by Code.org around uh, Grace Hopper's birthday. So we uh, actually have had three of our projects have been adapted for Hour of Code this year. So. Nice. doesn't just have to be during that week, but these are just hour-long projects that are suitable for sort of any level of coder um, where you can really just use that as a springboard into the world of coding.
0: Completely. And we know the importance of teaching not only children to code, but children to understand what is happening when there is code being written and then looking at it in an ethical way like you're trying to do. So really thank you for all the hard work you're doing. And I encourage anyone out there listening to get involved, get in touch. I'm sure we all have kids or somebody that we know that could be influential in this. So we can get this out there and help you reach that goal of of hitting a million children. And I think you're going to be able to hit more than just a million Canadians, right? Like, that's a great goal to have, but hopefully it will spread around the world and we can have the children grow up with this uh, algorithm literacy.
1: Yeah, I am hopeful. And I think we all just need to hold on to that, that hope right
0: now. Awesome. Well, thank you, Hannah. I appreciate it. And I'll see you later. Thanks.